To express yourself, where teens talk and the world listens. Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be the Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Equality and freedom are not luxuries to lightly cast aside. Without them, order cannot long endure before approaching depths beyond imagining. This is from Alan Moore uh, from V for Vendetta. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, creator and producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be the Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. Before we get into today's show, Be the Star You Are's awesome volunteers and I want to urge you to check out our website at btsya.org. Go to the events tab to find exciting events we have coming up, and also visit us at Express Yourself Team. Radio.com to check out past editions of our show. Today's Express Yourself radio show is centered on the gift of equality. My name is Bridget Chia. And I'm Siri Panindra. For our first segment, we'll be reading a chapter from our brand new anthology entitled Feed the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, Celebrating Gifts of Positive Voices in a Changing Digital World. This chapter is called The Gift of Equality by Zara Hassanayim a long-time host and reporter here on Expressers. So let's get started with the chapter. Any instance of inequality is worth writing about, sighing about, crying about, even laughing about. The collective conscious of the human race is asleep until people force its eyes open, refusing to let them escape into dreams of a better world until they can confront and cure the injustices of this one. I always thought this forceful recognition and correction of the inequalities of our society could only be accomplished if the inequality was made personal. I thought that people only became passionate about fixing inequalities when they, or someone close to them, experienced those inequalities on a daily basis. Yet, when I read the poem Merry Go Round by Langston Hughes, I realized that we often take equality for granted because our personal experiences don't match up with another unique individual's. Some inequalities will never be personal for certain people or groups of people, but they shouldn't make us blind to the plight of others. I can't count how many bigoted comments I've heard in the past week, and sometimes I don't even remember how those comments made me feel. But I remember exactly how I felt as soon as I read that Langston Hughes poem. In the poem, an African-American child goes to a carnival, and before she hops onto the carousel like any other kid, she asks where the back of the ride is. She looks for the colored section, but notices that there is no back to a merry-go-round. Yet, even in the last lines of the poem, this fact isn't comforting to her. It's just confusing, because the racial inequality she's faced has deprived her of the carefree childhood she should have had. 
The reason this particular poem was so riveting was that it evoked another famous image in my head. It was the image of Phoebe, Holden's little sister and Catcher in the Rye, by J.D. Salinger. In the last scene of the book, Holden watches Phoebe riding a carousel, without a care, reaching for a golden ring about her horse. He says her innocence makes him happy. The scene used to make me happy too, because Phoebe was reaching out for hope. I was convinced that anyone could get on the carousel of life, reach out like Phoebe, and maybe grab something golden for themselves. But then I read Mary Go Round and realized that it's not that simple. An African-American kid couldn't just sit on the carousel untroubled, much less have the opportunity to reach for something wondrous. From childhood, life deals out privileges unequally. I started thinking about why some people get so defensive at the notion that we're still fighting for equality. And then I thought of a quote by an unknown author that's been circling the internet for some time. It goes, when you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. So sometimes we're all completely unaware of how much privilege we really have until a piece of literature or a story of some kind jerks us into the harsh reality that inequality creates. So that's the reason I'll never look at a carousel the same way, even if I sincerely want to. Making the comparison between the African-American child and Phoebe also made me think about what the modern equivalent of the carousel inequality would be. There is no more Jim Crow, but we're still reminded of inequality with every video of an unarmed black person being shot, every headline reporting a hate crime, and perhaps with every line of a history textbook that seems to skew the story in favor of privileged groups. We're reminded of inequality with every ignorant comment that goes unnoticed, every patronizing word that's supposedly just a joke, and every glare of disapproval that's an inevitable reaction to challenging inequality. But there's also so much to remind us of why we need to keep the dream of equality alive. I'm reminded of the greatness of equality every time I read a successful immigration story, every time I overhear two incredibly different people laughing together, and every time I think of the American dream. I remember immediately losing faith in the American dream, the one of equality and opportunity, when I read Hugh's poem. And just as quickly, I realized that the poem was important because it was a push towards equality, not just a sorrowful cry bemoaning inequality. I thought of the African-American child writing the merry-go-round without asking concerned questions, but with Phoebe, and that made me happy again. That restored my faith in the power of the gift of equality. Now for the exercise, which is called Lift Off. Be conscious of your privileges and how you can use them to lift others up and create a more equal society by Number one, read a book or a poem about some sort of inequality. Equality will seem much more like a universal human goal rather than an individual one if you do this. Number two, start a club on campus advocating for social justice. Pick an issue you think you can fix with more, than, with more inequality equality, and start by having discussions about what that equality looks like and how it might fix the situation. Starting a dialogue is movement forward and a good start to making change. Number three, keep having uncomfortable conversations. They might be controversial, but they're often the only way you learn about the experiences of others and unite with others to achieve equality. Number four, the last one, celebrate the achievements of underrepresented groups. This will give you a greater appreciation for equality and also give you hope that inequality isn't dominating the world's narrative. 
And here's a quote from an unknown person, and it says, When you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. Wow, that was a that was a great chapter by Zara. Uh, I I think from being on the radio on air with her, I think this is really reflective of her view of the world and how powerful it is. She really comes on to every show when she's hosting or doing a segment and discusses some of the harder to talk about subjects and brings them out into the light, like this one on how inequality still exists in our world. I think, right, like it just really brings it out there because we tend to turn a blind eye to little, you know, microcosmic inequalities that, you know, we we don't want to look at because we're supposedly in the modern era and we want to keep looking forward. But I think it's good that she's telling us to face these things and try to look locally for our problems so that we might find solutions to them. Yes. And also, I remember reading Langston Hughes' poems in my history class last year, and they're so empowering. And, you know, this poem that we kind of talked about in this chapter, it kind of represents those values of equality. And I feel we really need to embrace that in our community, whether it is, you know, starting a high school chapter in our school or just going out and having these conversations with people. I definitely think this is a very important issue and we have to, you know, remove inequality from our society. Absolutely. And I think it's it's interesting that a lot of these talks about equality and the injustices that are going on in our world today, even in, uh, you know, just places around us and wherever we go, uh, kind of um, permeate into a lot of different fields. So I was I was at a seminar <laughs> this morning, actually, mm-hmm. at uh, the research center where I work. So I'm situated in Nashville right now, uh, and I'm working in the Vanderbilt uh, Medical Center. And I went to the seminar, and the woman who was presenting, she had this great research project on uh, estrogen injections in women of transgender nature who are looking to make the transition from being a biological male to a female. And she was discussing this and she was trying to figure out where to take her project so that she could get a grant and get enough funding to carry out the research. And a lot of the people in the room were discussing kind of the climate that's going on, the political climate that's going on, moving away from the healthcare and research aspect of the of the research and <laughs> moving away from the research aspect of the research and really trying to focus on where this project would land in today's political climate. And I thought that was really interesting because you don't usually think you're going to see some a conversation about equality, about whether, you know, about transgender healthcare rights in a research setting, but there it is because it's so prevalent and it's so necessary that we put everybody on equal footing so they have access to things like like healthcare, basic things, you know. And yeah. I thought that was just pretty weird and cool. I don't know. I really enjoyed that we had the conversation. What yeah, about you, a, Siri? Have it's you a ever 
you know, we had a segment today about equality and he went to a research seminar all about equality. Agreed. That was a great chapter from Zara on equality. So unfortunately, we are out of time for this first segment. But audience, be sure to support our show and these amazing segments by donating to the Be The Star You Are 501c3 literacy charity that brings you this program. Be The Star You Are desperately needs your donations to help us help those in distress by providing books and other resources. Operation Wildfire Disaster Relief Fund is an ongoing outreach program to help survivors of natural disasters, so we need donations to help ship much-appreciated books to victims of these disasters. Please make sure you donate today at bethestarur.org, and you can even donate through PayPal Giving Fund with no additional fees. I'm Brigitte Gia. And I'm Siri Panindra. You've been listening to the Equality Edition of Express Yourself Teen Radio, brought to you as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity. Make sure to watch Be The Star You Are's fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash be the star you are. Be sure to also pick up our newest anthology, Be The Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, celebrating gifts of positive voices in a changing digital world at cynthiabryan.com slash online dash door. And also make sure to stick around as we continue our great show on the gift of equality. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world. And that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Are you a teenager with lots to say but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel and join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com. You can express yourself the voice america talk radio network is on instagram make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows live events and around the network we want to see what you have to share as well check us out on instagram at voice america talk radio we're on facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world and that includes you visit us on facebook at voice america empowerment You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us here at Voice America Empowerment. 
I'm Siri Panindra, and we are here to speak about the gift of equality on Express Yourself Teen Radio. In this segment, we are joined by internationally recognized singer-slash-songwriter Dylan Lloyd. Dylan's journey started with a music publishing deal in 2009 with BMG Rights Management. And I'm Brigitte Chia. So since that point in time, Lloyd's career has been an exemplary product of consistency and longevity. And with hundreds of new monthly listeners on Spotify a day and 10 consecutive charting records on the iTunes charts to his name, Dylan Lloyd is steadily becoming one of the best upcoming pop artists of this generation. With that, let's welcome Dylan onto the show. Hi, Dylan. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me here. All right. So let's kick this off. Um, what drew you to the music industry? Um, were you inspired by someone and did you want to follow their footsteps? Can you elaborate on that, please? I did. Uh, Michael Jackson was my, was my all-time favorite artist, and I was always inspired to write songs, which was kind of different than, you know, when you're growing up, you want to be the artist. I didn't necessarily want to be Mike. I just wanted to write like he did, and I was always interested in the writing process, even at a young age, so... Songwriting came to me first, and then, you know, in conjunction with that, just kind of naturally came um, singing and and performing. So um, Michael was uh, was my was my main influence, and then I had from him had other influences like Elton John and and uh, Ben Folds and Stevie Wonder and, and Prince and so on and so forth. It just kept growing. Absolutely. Those are all you know incredible inspirational figures to draw from, and I think. I think, yeah, that's where it starts. It, you know, true musicianship, I think, starts when you're producing your own art. And then from there, you're kind of broadcasting it to the world. Yeah, and so, totally. Right. You start from, start from originality and then you boost it out there. So, Dylan, uh, I know you have a new song, If I Can't Have You. And I wanted to ask, what influences, which of your inspirational figures did you draw from when you were writing this? Uh, well, If I Can't Have You is a song that I honestly, I'm sorry I'm kind of at a pause here. It's just there's so many different avenues about this song in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, one being that it was with a colleague that I've worked with before named Mose. He's a great artist and great rapper and great singer and a great producer um, who sent me a track that I ended up top lining on. Mm-hmm. Um, I top lined my melody and lyric to it and it just flowed within two hours i just wrote it and it came from a really personal place um it was my girlfriend's best friend who had been going through a really difficult time with her marriage and i felt like i wanted to kind of universalize a situation where there are points in time where relationship is faltering and there's only one person fighting for it so um, i wanted to kind of give a a viewpoint of well you being the person fighting for it, the other person's not fighting for it, but you're kind of like, well, I can't let my my entire life crash, you know, because you won't reciprocate the effort. Um, so I kind of wanted to really expound upon that. And uh, the influences were Michael Jackson, of course. They were also Bruno Mars. They were John mm-hmm. Legend. Uh, just a, a, a multitude of influences melodically that I came up with to try to create the best summer bot that I could. Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, in, a, in a situation like that, when you have this 
imbalance in your relationship. There's no it, there's no equality in that. And I think no. it's it's really great that that you took this this situation that you know is is a very personal situation and you were able to broadcast it in a way that made it relatable to everyone who's ever felt this sort of imbalance in any sort of relationship. And I'm sure I'm sure your girlfriend's best friend was, you know, must have really felt that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's really interesting, my writing process, because, you know, most of my writing process is drawn from other people's experiences. Um, it isn't until recently, actually, I'll drop this exclusive news to you guys now. No one else <laughs> is no, knows about this, but my new album will all be about me thematically. So it's going to be a very interpersonal album that I'm releasing for fans. But before and all the way up until this point, you know, every song including If I Can't Have You and before it, were mainly just experiences that were mostly drawn from other people. So I always felt that like um, the more personal that you were, the 50-50 chance you could lose the interaction or you know connection you have with somebody else because not everyone experiences the same things that you do personally. So I always kind of felt it was you know more... Um, more beneficial to take from other people's experiences and then kind of, you know, universalize that and make it relatable. Mm, I uh, definitely feel that's important. And I feel meaningful music, it comes um, if you're singing from the heart. And your story makes um, If I Can't Have You so special. And, you know, I feel singing is like a story. And especially if the singer sings from the heart like you do, it's just a great way of storytelling and talking about yourself and expressing yourself. And I wanted to ask you, Dylan, how did you feel when you heard your song was debuting on BBC Radio? Yeah, that means a lot. Thanks for that. I, I, I uh, when that happened, I was in complete shock. <laughs> I've never had a, a song premiere on the radio before. That was amazing. Um, <clears throat> I, I just, I, I guess there's really no eloquent way to put it. I was, I was, I was shocked. I was just kind of like, wow, this is. This song, you know, before it even, before anyone even heard it, was already getting the recognition that I felt it, it was going to deserve. So right now, it's, it's, uh, it's almost at two hundred thousand streams on Spotify, and My people are loving it. And yeah, it's, it's it's been really great, man. It's you know, it's got a long way to go, but I, I, I really feel like uh, so far so great. I'm blessed for this opportunity happening with it. I think it's a really great song for the summer. I think so. And I think since you, you know, you've been writing since childhood and you've, yeah. you've doubtless <laughs> gone through your trials and tribulations and made it this far, I think the recognition is well-deserved. And, you. you know, right, I, my pleasure. I think you deserve it. <laughs> and I wanted to ask Dylan about the, the viewpoints uh, that you were, you were discussing earlier about writing songs from your own perspective and from another's perspective. So I actually, I was listening to uh, some country music. I was listening to Cam um, the other oh, day. Yeah. And, okay. right, and she, she wrote this song called Diane, where she was kind of taking the perspective of, if you know, I'm sure you do, uh, but Jolene by Dolly Parton, sure, right? Sure. She, took, she took this song and she was writing it from the viewpoint of the other woman. 
Interesting, well, she, yes. yeah, and she usually writes from from her own perspective. So, for you, when you're writing from someone else's perspective versus from your own perspective, is the songwriting process different? Do you do you you know, uh, figurative speaking? Do you use a different part of your brain? Like, is right. there <laughs> is there a different process that goes into it? Sure. No, that's an excellent question. It's you know there isn't any particular concrete way of writing a song. Um, you know, I primarily like to write from other people's experiences, but I've written from my own as well. And But what I've learned um, throughout, you know, all of the ebbs and flows of writing is that you evolve as a songwriter if you are willing to um, write songs in a way that wherever the origin of influence is coming from, it ends up being an honest outcome, it has mm-hmm. to be genuine. Um, so if you're going mm-hmm. from someone else's perspective, you know, you may be coming at, you know, your interpret your interpretation of their perspective, but at least, you know, have it all culminate into a honest and genuine approach so that people can feel that it, no matter where you come from originally, when you're thematically conceptualizing something for a song, you have to always have it um, end up being... Uh, genuine and people would feel that genuine genuineness and it would then resonate to them they could find a line or a word or an entire song relatable to them they could relate to it no matter what it is a melody a line that's it's just i just feel like generosity um with your ideas genuineness and honesty truthfulness in the way you're approaching it that all kind of comes together in an amalgamate of uh, of truth and how you can connect with people with your music that's something super important and especially you know songwriting is all about expression of ideas and conveying these deep inner messages to people and connecting with other people that's really fascinating how you put you know a lot of genuineness in your music and I wanted to ask you since we're talking about songwriting and all um, what's an average day like for you oh man Uh, well for a songwriter it's kind of just hoping that something hits you um (laughs) You know, you can, you can, you can sit, well, I, I used to be signed to a, a music publishing deal and, um, <clears throat> I was blessed to be signed to one for seven years. Music publishing deals are like record deals. Um, you get signed to a company, but you get signed as a songwriter and your, um, primary job is to write songs for major artists. So, um, for example, I had, um, written a song that had went from, Beyonce to Justin Bieber to then Steven Jerzak. Um, wow. Beyonce and Bieber didn't pick up the song, but Steven Jerzak did. Um, but the point was that I was a staff songwriter. Mm-hmm. And that's how I really honed my craft was really learning how to write uh, commercially viable pop songs that were radio quality. So um, after I had you know left the, left the company, you know, that never, that never stopped. You know, I, I had, you know, learned how to write a three minute or less pop song, you know, and, uh, you know, learned how to write hits. So it's just kind of like a, a thing you learn, but it's also a thing that's ingrained in you, you know? Um, so for me, a regular day is just kind of feeling inspired by something and then taking that something and rolling with it as far as it can go, you know? Yeah. I think that's a, it's a, pretty inspirational so to say way to way to conduct yeah. your day i think yeah, everyone should start doing that so yeah. i wanted to 
Right. Like that's, that's how I need to start my day. I, I get up at nine and I just go to work and then I come back and I'm, I'm exhausted. I need to no, I feel you. find no, some inspiration I, like you do. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, you can get caught in the, uh, you know, the, the music world is so unconventional. There's nothing conventional about it. So like, you know, I guess the, the, the most correlating thing I can, I can convey between my job and someone else's job is that you have to have passion for it. And passion breeds a lot of success and a lot of inspiration. And you know, you're only inspired if you're passionate about something. So, um, you know, the passion breeds inspiration. I can look around me, and anything can inspire me. And once I get that inspiration, I can write. If I don't have it, I just don't have it. I don't force anything. Um, mm -hmm. If I have writer's block, I just let it be. You know. Right. It's a good attitude to take. Just let it come. You know, let it come to yeah, you. Exactly. Well, you know. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask as well, Dylan, about uh, sort of the perspective that people take on pop music nowadays. So a lot of people think that some of the hits that are being generated right now are commercialized. They're, they're put together in a certain way in order for them to become hits. Like, like a lot of people are saying there's something psychological about it, where if you repeat the course a certain number of times, more people will like it. And so what do you think about that as someone who's worked you know, behind the scenes on this, these hits. Sure. Sure. Yeah, definitely. That's an amazing question. Um, I think that there is an element of truth to what people are surmising. <laughs> it's <laughs> that, uh, you know, pop songs, a lot of pop songs, well, I'd say modern day pop songs sound the same. They don't really sound very, uh, intricate or, um, unique. Um, it's mainly because the industry is finding a formula and they're sticking to it. Um, it's not like it was in the nineties or in the eighties and before that where pop songs were, were, were diverse, you know, very diversified pieces of music. Um, that's where you get artists like Sting who was a pop artist. But if you look at his lexicon, he had amazingly diverse hits, you know, Desert Rose sounded nothing like, you know, Every Breath You Take, Every Breath You Take didn't sound anything like um, If I Ever Lose My Faith. So it's just you know, like you don't have artists anymore that write songs that sound, you know, not like other art. I mean, everybody just kind of sounds the same. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of that is to combat the, the predominantly streaming industry of the music industry right now because uh, no one buys records anymore, unfortunately. People only stream or download them for free you're left with people trying to vie for attention and quick attention. So they're not necessarily thinking about a quality song. They're thinking about a cookie cutter song. Um, but I think what's going to recycle and bring back the old way of music and the way the industry worked is if people just say, look, man, like I'm just going to make an album and mm -hmm. it's going to be a body of work and whoever's going to listen to it is going to listen to it. And, you know, whoever doesn't just doesn't. And that's where I'm going with this new piano only album. Um, it's just me and a piano and just I'm going to put out like 20 songs of an album. Um, and uh, whoever loves it, they love it. Whoever doesn't, yeah. doesn't, you know. But mm. I think albums are important. I really think albums are important. They're, they're, they're on life support, man, if not already dead. Mm. But yeah. 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 Singing is super it's a really good way of taking out your feelings and 
not only is it good for people who listen to your music, it also makes you feel good. Sure. Well, thank you so much, Dylan. I love your yeah. passion and your genuinity. Thanks. And thank you so much for being here today. Thank yeah, you. Been you guys absolutely are wonderful. Thank you, ladies. Unfortunately, we are out of time for this segment, but make sure to stick around, though, as we'll oh, be continuing with the gift of equality on the next segment. Thank you again, Dylan. Audience, check out Dylan's music on Spotify under Dylan Lloyd and head on over to Instagram and Twitter to follow him at Dylan Lloyd One. I'm Siri Panindra. And I'm Brigitte Gia. Remember to pick up a copy of our newest anthology. The book is called Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, Celebrating Gifts of Positive Voices in a Changing Digital World, which you can find on CynthiaBryan.com and on Amazon and other book retailers. So make sure you pick up your copy today and visit BeTheStarYouAre.org for more information about Express Yourself and BTSYA. Make sure to keep listening as our show continues on the gift of equality. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are you a teenager with lots to say but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel and join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com. You can express yourself. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Thank you for staying with us here on the Voice America Empowerment channel. Our program is Express Yourself giving youth across the world a voice to be listened to. This edition of Express Yourself is all about the gift of equality. 
For our third and final segment today, Express Yourself host and reporter Kenneth Jun is joining us with an equality-themed 2020. Take it away, Kenneth. All right. Thanks, guys. So today, I thought I would just take this opportunity uh, with our theme of equality and all to bring up a pretty hot-button issue that people talk about these days, and that is minority representation in the entertainment industry. So this is probably obvious. I'm not an expert on Hollywood politics or social programming or like even like media communications or any of that stuff. <laughs> but I do want to share some of the th- uh, things I found while researching this topic. So this has been a big deal, right? Especially in the last few years with movies like Black Panther, the new Star Wars movies, Wonder Woman and the Ghostbusters reboot. Uh, they've all either intentionally or unintentionally created discussion about the furthering of minority representation in films and TV. Uh, everyone's probably heard at least a little about any of these movies or all of them, so mm-hmm. I won't go too deep into summarizing any of that. Uh, the point is there was a lot of commotion over representation these past few years. Uh, so when I started looking into this, what I found right off the bat were a bunch of relatively recent articles focusing on a 2019 report from UCLA, which measures the diversity of casts and crews by looking at the top 200 theatrical film releases of 2017 and 1,316 broadcast, cable, and digital TV shows from the 2016-2017 season. Uh, I should mention that the report specifically talks about women and racial minorities, so unfortunately, other groups like LGBT communities and um, those with disabilities, people like that aren't brought up. Uh, So anyway, according to this report, a lot has actually improved, kind of. Uh, Racial minorities and women are still underrepresented in each of the eight observed categories of industry employment, which are film leads, film directors, film writers, broadcast scripted leads, cable scripted leads, digital scripted leads, broadcast reality leads, cable reality leads, digital reality leads, broadcast scripted creators, cable scripted creators, and digital scripted creators. That's way more than eight, I think. I don't know why I said eight. (laughs) I'm not going to count it now. Whatever. Uh, However, there have been gains since the last report in 2018 in almost every one of these categories. Uh, Women did lose representation in the film writer, cable scripted lead, and digital reality lead categories, and racial minorities lost representation in the digital reality lead category. But in general, things are actually getting better, which is nice to hear. Uh, Improvements are being made, and the industry is getting closer to proportionate representation, however small those improvements may be. Uh, Personally, I'm pretty certain that this upward trend won't really stop anytime soon. Uh, Rather, its slope will very likely increase over time as the industry realizes that representation seems to be pretty profitable. Uh, According to that same report from UCLA, movies with casts of 31% to 40% minorities had their highest global box office median so far, uh, while movies with casts of 11% or less had their lowest median so far. Uh, Similar stats were shown for investment return medians and domestic box office medians. Um, I think one could potentially argue that with the recent trend of big movies pushing for diverse cast and staff, that the diversity might not actually be the factor that's attracting audiences. Um, For example, like a Star Wars movie probably would do extremely well regardless of whether or not its lead was a woman or not. Uh, But really, I think it's pretty safe to say that diversity almost directly, if not completely just directly, leads to bigger earnings uh, looking at the sample size of 200 as well as the fact that films with casts that have higher percentages of people of color uh, tend to attract more people of color. Uh, this trend has also been consistently been present for the reports from prior years, so I think I found this conclusion to be really reasonable. 
Uh, so now I've gone over the cynical money-making reason for why diversity <laughs> is a good thing, but why is diversity <laughs> beneficial in a social sense? The answer is pretty simple and probably what most people expect. Uh, seeing, seeing someone that looks like you in your movies and shows is kind of comforting, especially for people who can't uh, uh, often find that kind of thing. It acts as a simple instance of validation for your identity and your acceptance into the community you live in. Uh, maybe it's not totally a great thing to look for validation on TV, but with how big a role this kind of media plays in most people's lives, uh, it's completely logical that that would happen. Uh, when figures like Michelle Obama talk about how great it is that little kids will have a black superhero and Black Panther to look up to, or something along those lines, uh, they're not lying. A study from Nicole Barnes from Indiana University, Bloomington, in 2012 showed that when 396 pre-adolescent black and white children were observed to assess the long-term effects of television consumption, only the white boys showed an increase in self-esteem, while each other group showed a decrease in self-esteem. So evidently, how the media portrays different identities has a really big impact on people's senses of identity in real life. Um, yeah, that's basically what I found while researching this. Um, I was wondering if you guys had any opinions or thoughts on this topic. Well, yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty amazing and interesting topic to get into because movies are a big part of what we see and what we you know model ourselves after. I think it's interesting that you brought up kind of the the positions and the positions of pay specifically that women and underrepresented minorities are taking um, just within the industry. Because I think a lot of things are driven by the consumer's dollar. So for example, like the environment, we we kind of decide you know, what cars we're going to get and what fuels we're going to use based on how economically friendly they are to us. And that in turns, in turn kind of determines how environmentally friendly we are, unfortunately. So yeah. I think it, it definitely is really interesting that the industry entirely is shifting towards more representation because of the dollar, but with that comes the social benefits of having more representation for minorities that, you know, haven't seen role models that look like them on the big screen. And I think it's also really interesting that you mentioned um, why exactly, you know, the simple answer, why, why people want to see themselves on screen. So I think I, you know, I took a psychology class <laughs> two years ago and mm -hmm. I remember that, you tend to trust, as an individual, you tend to trust people who look like you, who are similar to you. And humans as a whole, on average, tend to be subconsciously kind of self-centered, <laughs> not in a bad way, but there's a lot of evidence that people will, you know, they'll date people who have similar sounding names to them, or they'll you know, strike up relationships with people who look like them because we really are attracted to people who look like us uh, or who are similar to us in some aspect. And we really start to look up to role models who we have similarities with. So I think it's really great that you pulled that up uh, in, in the film aspect. And I think it's definitely, it has a psychological basis as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, that's really fascinating, this stuff about like names and like even small things like that. But yeah, I think, uh, I mean, kind of like how it's kind of disappointing that like money is what makes <laughs> this industry move. But I mean, it's still working. And like, I guess right now is kind of the experimental age when uh, 
the giant slow ship that is Hollywood is kind of moving in this like direction. Right. Yielding good results. So yeah, I think like I said, I think this trend is gonna just get bigger, get faster. Um, I hope even so. if this is a money making you know, reason for why we're incorporating diversity. I still think, you know, it's a great way to put, you know, underrepresented minorities on the screen, you know, whether it's for a good reason or not, you know, I preferably a good reason, but um, even if it's for money, I feel it's a great improvement um, because movies are kind of a reflection of society. And if we have uh, more underrepresented people, that would be, you know, much more relatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, even specifically, like, it's nice how, like, it's not just more people are, uh, like, more people of color or more women are being uh, shown in movies and things like that. They're actually taking important roles, like, like taking lead roles. So they're not just being, like, stereotyped or kind of sidelined, um, which all just helps, you know, people relate to them more. I think so, yeah. And I think that that is a great point, is that, um, you know, in the size society that we live in today, money, the ability to make money gives power. So if you have female leads, for example, in a movie that has some, some stereotypes or maybe a TV show, which is more easily changed once it's, once it's starting out on the screen. So maybe you have this TV show and you have these women who have been earning a lot of money from these views. And maybe there's a stereotype on that TV show that they don't like. Well, now that they have that viewership, now that they have that monetary base, they have the power and they have the audience to to address these sorts of issues too. And because the viewers and the consumers also have that viewing power and that money power, they can then turn around and force a, a conversation about maybe negative stereotypes that are on that specific TV show or on any sort of media. So I think that while we do unfortunately run on money a little bit within the society, I think Siri and Kenneth, I agree with you that it really, you know, we can use it for a good cause. <laughs> it can be really good. But, you know, I have to ask uh, Kenneth about a potential pushback to this sort of movement. Because in the past, we've always had, you know, we've had a lot of progressive movements that have unfortunately been hindered by counter movements against them that are maybe more in favor of a more conservative viewpoint. So do you see that happening anytime soon? Or do you predict that maybe that's going to happen? And how can we sort of get around that and override it? Um, yeah, I looked into like counter arguments a little bit. Um, well, of course, like, they're just the people who are just, like, blatantly racist and <laughs> don't want different people on TV. Um, but, like, I think most people understand that's not really a solid argument to bring up. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of this stuff, or I think the main counter-argument that I found that kind of has some credibility to, credibility to it is uh, it's being forced too much. Like, it, uh, the spread of diversity should be more of a natural, like, natural thing that just kind of comes into the industry slowly and without like an active like pushing mm-hmm. um and i've read like people saying oh uh this like really forceful aggressive pushing of diversity will just be counterproductive in that it like provokes those people who don't who aren't comfortable with like different types of people on tv um yeah and like 
they're kind of scared that like pushing diversity becomes like this almost like politicized agenda that people can kind of like uh, fight against. Like it becomes, I don't know, like, I guess the aggression or the perceived aggression of it is something that you don't really want to like push into this movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that's like a huge concern, mainly because, I mean, like, obviously they're not like, they're not like legal pushes to like, or uh, not that I've heard of, like legal pushes to actually make it into law or anything that, oh, like a certain number of black people or a certain number of women have to be in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think it's like forceful enough to actually start like encroaching on people's lives or like disrupting the economy or anything like that. So yeah, <laughs> I think that's fine. And also like, again, even even like against the counter arguments, like money is the biggest Money, money is the biggest motivator. So if diversity in movies uh, and TV shows proves to be profitable, then I think that ship is just going to keep sailing. It's not really going to stop with those like that kind of small subset of people who don't really like it. And I wanted to ask you, Kenneth, um, why do you personally think that there is this correlation between like more more the diversity than more the money? Uh, do you have like some reasoning behind it? Do you um, what's your opinion of why the, there's that correlation? Yeah, um, I think people are just, uh, it becomes kind of more acceptable to the people, uh, to like those minorities. If you have someone that looks like you on in a movie or a TV show, it kind of creates like this connection. And yeah, that might be kind of weird saying that like you can only relate to people who look like you. But I mean, like like Brigitte said, it's kind of how like humans work. So watching someone that looks like you, it kind of makes you, it kind of piques your interest, right? It makes mm-hmm. you pay attention to it and people kind of get drawn to those projects. Absolutely. I think so. I think at the end of the day, even if there's pushback against it, even if, you know, it's only for the money, it's, it's fundamentally good. I think, I think we can probably agree on that is that, this sort of representation is a step forward and it should continue happening. You know, whatever, whatever movement goes against it, I think we should keep it up. Well, you know, thank you so much, Kenneth, for such an insightful Equality 2020. I think it was really great to get this sort of perspective uh, in the film industry because, uh, yeah, like coming from a different viewpoint, I, I had no idea what was going on in the industry except for that there were new movies starring people who I could relate to more. So it's great to see that sort of background uh, come in and enrich our understanding of equality. And audience, as always, we give our thanks to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment crew, especially our voice engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world, and thank you to you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. I'm Brigitte Gia. And I'm Siri Panindra. You have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. For information on our creative community, charity efforts, and outreach programs, please go to our main site at www.bethestarur.org. Remember to fight for equality and push back against injustice. Speak up, speak up, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. 
produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines if you will let yourself.